this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or for anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12-22. to 22. It's the basis for the sermon here at First Free Methodist Church on October 29, 2023. It's part of our series called Hunt the Good Stuff, and it's a series about tools for living a life of gratitude. Let's first hear the text from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. But we ask you, brothers and sisters, to recognize those who diligently labor among you and are in leadership over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you regard them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek what is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything, hold firmly to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. This is a well-known text in 1 Thessalonians, especially when we focus on verses uh, 16, 17, and 18. Uh, These are often well-quoted passages of Scripture and find their ways onto various uh, placards, posters, plaques, and different things that folks hang on walls. And so this is a memorable passage of Scripture for good reason. We're going to start at the beginning looking at verses just 12 and 13, where the apostle talks about how we're to hold leaders. How do we hold leaders? Now, the first letter to the Thessalonians is one of two letters that Paul wrote to this community in the northern part of Greece. So to kind of give you an orientation, if you were looking at Greece, at least along the Aegean Sea, the part of the body of water that faces Turkey, Uh, Thessaloniki is up in the north, uh, above what is even commonly known as Macedonia, and then Corinth is all the way down toward the southern tip. These are kind of opposite ends, so Paul's letters to the Thessalonians and and the first and second letters, and his first and second letter to the Corinthians, kind of help us understand a little bit about this world in which Paul is working on uh, two of his missionary trips that he spent time there. Now, both Corinth and Thessalonica had some shared experiences, and many of Paul's letters address these European communities, especially in Greece, and ultimately as a much larger letter that was written to the Romans, uh, focuses on some of these issues surrounding how Gentile Christians are to engage and live out their faith in the midst of the community together. And so Paul begins by making an appeal in verse 12. He says, but we ask you, brothers and sisters, is how the text begins. And he asks three three things of them. 
he asks them first to recognize those who work diligently in leadership over you who give instruction. Now, this is um, a, a rich verse, I have to be honest, and there are three descriptors here uh, that describe the people who do this kind of work. So recognize those who work diligently, that's the first part, those who have leadership over you in the Lord, and those who give you instruction. Now, that word give instruction actually means to correct. It doesn't mean to give instruction like uh, two plus two equals four. It's to actually correct uh, practices and behaviors. So these descriptors are fixed on those who do ministry in the church itself. Now, take notice that these that these three descriptors are all actions. They're not offices. Those who diligently labor, that's an action. Those who are in leadership over you in the Lord, that's an action. Those who give instruction or correction, that's an, an action. So I have to be honest, as a pastor myself, it's a bit awkward to teach this past passage of Scripture because some of it not only applies to me in terms of the role I have as a servant leader in the community of faith, but also as I live out under submission to the, my authority that's over me in the community of faith. So at its core, what we need to hear in this passage is that leaders in the life of the church are held in respect, not because they're leaders, but because they lead. The office is not important. Title is not meaningless, but almost. The value is here is for those who work. That's the first part. Recognize those who work diligently. Those who point the way. That's leadership over you. And those who give instruction or correction. Those who guide. So the value here is for those who work, who point the way, and who guide. And the key passageway for us on all of that is that fruitfulness is the output of faithful leaders. You know, much has been said and written about leaders in our day. As a matter of fact, over the last 20, 30, even 40 years, the pastor of churches and leaders within churches are, are so often thought of and aligned in, in terms of a, a kind of a corporate sort of lens. And so what happens often is our secular ideas of leadership and what being a leader is begin to leak in to what it means in the life of the church. So we tend to focus on being in charge and who's calling the shots, who has title, who has status. These are all foreign to this text as we open up uh, 1 Thessalonians and verse 12 of chapter 4 or chapter 5. These aren't here. Paul advocates for those who work diligently. In other words, it's qualified. The church does not honor leaders. It recognizes those who lead by working, leading, and even at times correcting. We turn to verses 14 and 15 where the apostle begins to give us some direction, not on how we hold leaders, but how we hold others. Now, Paul's admonishment in these verses is to live in peace with one another. We urge you, brothers and sisters, uh, to live in peace with one another, to admonish the unruly. So there's four ways he tells us to be at peace 
with one another. He outlines four behaviors that help us hold others well. And it occurs there in verse 14. We urge you, brothers and sisters, number one, admonish the ruly. Second, encourage the faint-hearted. Third, help the weak. And fourth, be patient with everyone. So admonishing the ruly, this has to do with those who create strife, those who refuse correction. Uh, the word unruly is an unusual Greek word. It literally means to abandon their work. In other words, they, instead of doing the things they're supposed to be doing, they're doing something else instead. So part of the work for the community is to admonish the ruly. In other words, try to help people find their way to the work that they need to be doing and be coachable, be open to being shaped to do that. That second encouragement Paul gives about how we hold others is to encourage the faint-hearted. The word faint-hearted in Greek literally means those who have a small heart. We're to help those people. And small heart doesn't mean that they're, they're kind of hard or cruel to others. It just simply means that their heart is weak. It's not full. It's not uh, complete with a sense of joy and love yet. And so they're, they're kind of their tenacity or their persistence is maybe not where it uh, could possibly be. The third exhortation there is to help the weak. Now, for Paul, the weak are actually legalists. <laughs> there are those who lean on obedience to law rather than grace. And so Paul's advice for us is to help those who are weak, those who are bound up in the law, the bound up in rules and re of religion. In this case, in Thessaloniki, it's those who won't eat meat sacrificed to pagan gods. Paul's trying to help the community understand that we have a responsibility for those who are still living in forms of legalism. And the last exhortation Paul gives is to be patient with everyone. The same way that God is patient with us, that God is longing for us, seeking for us, hoping for us, where to be that kind of patient with others. He goes on in verse, um, verse 15 in saying that, see, no one repays another with evil for evil, but always what is good for one another and for all people. What a great encouragement in that verse. Never repay evil for evil. It's the prohibition of revenge. And Paul builds this teaching that he uses not only here, but he uses in some of his other letters, especially in Romans. He uses this quite a bit in Romans 12 and 13. The idea here is what Paul's saying is that, that there's no place within the Christian community for revenge or for seeking ill for anyone, it's actually unbiblical. And then he says, in a positive way, seek what is good for not just one another, but for all people. He's telling us to find the positive, to build on it. And that's how God sees us. We need to be in these moments where we can affirm and give life and find the positive that's going on around us. It's not just the power of positive thinking. It's this biblical directive Seek what is good for one another and all people. And that's a key passageway for us. Affirm the promise of every life and protect the dignity of all. You know, Paul's exhortation is to how we hold community, that we're to be at peace with one another. If we're, if we're a, a group of people in conflict or strife that, that depletes or diminishes our witness in the world, we're to be at peace with one another. The focus is on those who are in need in the community. Remember, Paul says that we're to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. The unruly, the faint-hearted, the weak, everyone. 
Our attention is on those who are in need, not those who are sufficient. So seek what is good for everyone, just like God does. As we turn to verses 16 to 18, we read these words that are very familiar to us, as I shared at the beginning of the podcast. And this is about how we hold life. And Paul offers now three imperatives. Now, remember in the Greek language, verbs can occur with what's called a different mood. And it has less to do with the emotion of the word and more of how it's kind of grammatically functioning. Remember that in ancient Greek, there's no punctuation marks. So there's no way to put a a question mark or a exclamation point or a period at the end of a sentence. And so they do it grammatically by shaping how words are used. That's where mood partially comes from. And so Paul offers three imperatives. This is the mood of command and they're present imperatives. In other words, it's action that's supposed to be happening right now. So Paul's first command is to rejoice always. This is a recurring theme for Paul. Uh, This uh, tension that he holds between joy and happiness that happiness is grounded in happenings, but joy is a state of heart and mind. And where it flows from is it flows from the confidence of being a child of God and a recipient of love, that that can't be counterfeited, that's not temporary, that's not a passing pleasure. We rejoice because of who we are in Jesus Christ and that we're grounded in the confidence of that reality. He then says next to pray without ceasing. Now, this is often a challenging concept for us because the work of prayer is ongoing. Now, it's not because of our conscious awareness of it, um, because very few of us experience a life where we're praying without ceasing. But it really has to do, in some sense, with God's Spirit in us, that we actually live in a state, as children of God, in a posture of ongoing prayer, that the Holy Spirit is in us working all the time, every minute of every day. And so what's at stake here is whether whether we're logging that or not. <laughs> Are we acknowledging the fact that the Spirit is in us moving, speaking, and prompting to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of our life? So his encouragement to pray without ceasing is to connect with that reality that God is at work in us and communing with us, and we can be in communion with that Holy Spirit and with the power of God at all times. Then he says, in everything, give thanks. Now, not just in some things, everything. Gratitude is the hallmark of the Christian life. Being thankful like this, to be honest, at times is a challenge. I mean, if we reference what Paul said earlier, that we're supposed to seek what is good, this might have something to do with it. Giving thanks, seeking what is good, affirming what is at work there. Now, notice in all three of these imperatives, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. So the way he draws the the action around these three verbs is that they're always ongoing, never ending. These are states, a state of mind and being for us, rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. Then he says something really compelling. This is the will of of God for you in Christ Jesus. Note how Paul frames the will of God in Christ Jesus. See, God's will is not a 
a thing, it's a state of being. It's not about the choices we make in our actions, the will of God. It's about a state of mind and heart. So what does it mean for the will of God to actually be about our character and our outcome rather than what shirt we're going to wear today and whether that was God's will or not? Now, sarcasm aside, it opens a key passageway for us that the marks of Christian living are joy, prayer, and gratitude. So many times, rather than joy, we often get carried away with the happenings of life and we lose joy. Rather than being in prayer, we often lack the awareness of God's holy presence in us and others, and we forget the sacredness of all things. Rather than give thanks, we often seek thanks and affirmation out of our own need and really our own insecurities. Reorienting ourselves requires a different way of living that centers on Christ and not ourselves. And so with ourselves in mind, Paul turns to verses 19 to 22, and he talks about how we hold ourselves. Paul's list of imperatives that we were just talking about continue, but now they have a different focus on how we respond to God's work. Now, these appear in the form of prohibitions. In other words, do not do these things. So he's just told us about what we're to do. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, because that's God's will for us. And then in verse 19, he tells us what not to do. Do not quench the spirit. Now, assumed here is the image of spirit as fire. So to quench that fire would be to put it out. So what Paul's suggesting here is this, is that he says, when God is moving, don't become a naysayer or a contrarian. He's encouraging the church in Thessaloniki to be open to what God might be doing. He then tells them, do not utterly reject prophecy. Now, this may have to do with a similar problem that was happening in Corinth, that the Corinthians valued the manifestations of spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues and, and other manifestations much more so than prophecy. And Paul's encouragement to them is that it's better to hear one word of prophecy than it is to hear hundreds of words spoken in tongues. The word of prophecy has meaning for us. So they may have been seeking the same kind of sensational spiritual gifts the Corinthians were and ignoring prophecy. Prophecy is not the prediction of the future. Prophecy is often a corrective or an encouragement. And let's be honest, who wants to hear that? <laughs> the reality is, is prophecy is one of the most meaningful manifestations of the Spirit. And so what he's telling the church here is to not reject prophecy so that God might be speaking, maybe we should listen. And then he has a third imperative, examine everything. It's in the plural here and not the singular. He's encouraging the community of faith to not dismiss anything out of hand, even if it might appear a bit odd or counterintuitive or something that we just flat out disagree with. We should examine it. We should look at it. And then Paul continues and he says, hold, and that word for hold means to cling to what is good. That which 
act in concert with Paul's already said, goodness is an action. He's already told us about the importance of seeking goodness and looking for goodness. Hold fast or firmly to that which is good and then abstain from every form of evil. Paul says also, also outlined that here too. And in these verses, verses 19 to 22, we, we see that, that what Paul's outlining as evil here is cynicism, do not quench the spirit, fear, do not utterly reject prophecy, even greed, examine everything, even if you don't like it. And that's finally a key passageway for us. Remaining open is the challenge of Christian maturity. You know, to be honest with time, age, experience, and education, it becomes easy to rest in more personal certainty. I find that as I get older, I have more experience and more education, it becomes easier for me to do that very thing, to think that I've got it figured out. Paul's encouragement is is such a refreshing challenge for me, and I hope it is for you. To be open to wonder, surprises, correction, and movement from the Spirit. As we mature in Jesus, this becomes more challenging for us. Staying open to God is the cling he's talking about here. Becoming judgmental, certain, closed-minded, uncaring, and ungrateful. This is the evil that we're to abstain from here. If you have comments or reflections, I'd love to hear from you. Please visit my website, revcraig.com, and click on News in the upper right-hand corner on that site, and there'll be a drop-down menu, and you'll see the word Podcasts. Once you click on Podcast, you can click on this week's episode and leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. I also encourage you to visit our church's website, ffmc.org, firstfreemethodistchurch.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.